Welcome to episode 78 of The Versatile Writer with me, Sarah Bannum. The Versatile Writer aims to provide help and support for like-minded writers. Recently, I was able to interview another author whose book I'd read and reviewed for Pen and Sword Books. The book was called 101 Facts You Didn't Know About Space by Mark Thompson and published by White Owl. I read the book during the Neowise Comet visit in July 2020, knowing that the Perseid meteor shower was just around the corner in August, around the time of my birthday, and the two framing this read gave it an even more exciting feel. Before I play the interview I had with Mark Thompson, here's the review I wrote about his book. 101 Facts You Didn't Know About Space by Mark Thompson published by White Owl from Pen and Sword. With Neo Wise visiting recently and the annual Perseid meteor shower during August, it made sense to review this book this week. I love the randomness of this book. I also love the sense of humour within the facts too. Humour is a brilliant way to impart knowledge because you're more likely to retain the information that way and Thompson brings it in bucket loads. Each fact is laid out on up to two pages packed with information and stunning photography to enhance it. From facts that would entertain a child, like astronauts cannot burp in space, to some a little more useful, like there are thousands of planets beyond our solar system, there's really plenty to keep even the most curious mind occupied and entertained. Top marks to Thompson for both the facts and the humour in which he relays them thoroughly recommended. As you can tell it was an enjoyable read so here's the interview I recorded with author and astronomer Mark Thompson. This week I'd like to welcome astronomer and author Mark Thompson so welcome to the versatile writer. Hello it's I can't say it's fabulous to be here because I'm in I'm in my house and you're in your house but it's wonderful to be talking to you. Um, I read your book, 101 Facts You Didn't Know About Space, published by White Owl, and I reviewed it and I loved it, and that's the absolute truth, I did love it. Um, let's start by asking you, um, what drew you to writing the book and how has your background helped? I think, what I've always loved sharing um, my enthusiasm and knowledge uh, of the universe with people, and it's, it's something that's always been a big part of my my love of the night sky and I think I've become aware that people the way people receive uh, and digest information is, is changing isn't it I think people don't tend not 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 everyone of course but a lot of people don't tend to read books cover to cover as much anymore and I, I remember a conversation with a publisher friend of mine many years ago and they were saying that the the younger generation tend to uh, take information more in bite sizes so I've got two kids, uh, nine and eleven, a bit too young for the book perhaps, but um, you know the way they they take on board information. It's it's short videos on on various different channels on the internet, and it's bite-sized pieces of information. So I think what what kind of inspired me to go away from the usual. Um, I mean, I've written probably I think it was eight books I've I've produced now before uh, this one. Uh, and they were typical kind of books you'd you'd sit down and read cover to cover, but this is very much a sort of a, a dip in and out of coffee table type of book. So I think it was really trying to uh, reach maybe a slightly different audience that perhaps wouldn't ordinarily pick up a book and read it all the way through. That actually makes a lot of sense when you think about it, because as you say, we are taking in 
information in smaller chunks because there is so much other stuff going on in our lives. So taking it in smaller chunks is easier to digest. But also for people like me who've got a bit of an issue with attention span as well, um, you know, having that small amount and also having it presented in a way with humour, it makes it so much more accessible. It's not so it's really um, formal and, and rigid and, and tough to accept. You know, you can read it because it sounds like you and I are having the chat now. It just sounds normal and, and human, doesn't it? Yeah, and I think that, you know, that's that's something that's always been a big part for me is, is making space uh, and perhaps science more generally, making it accessible to everyone. And I always use my mum as a, a, a good measure for whether something is, is digestible to the average person in the street because it's not a book for academics. It's not a book for experienced amateur astronomers, although, of course, um, I'd like to think they'd all get a little bit out of the book because there's some really interesting facts in there that aren't the normal uh, facts that, that perhaps are part of common knowledge. Um, so I often think, you know, if it's something that my mum would engage with and would be interesting, she's got no interest in space particularly at all. Um, and if it's something that she might be interested in and engage in, then, you know, that that's a good measure for me. And so, yeah, I think it's really important, certainly if you're writing books for a, a, a public market, to try and get a real human voice in there um, and, and to make it something that anyone can pick up and put down as, as they want to. Well, I must just ask you then, what got you into astronomy in the first place? I, I got into astronomy when I was 10. Um, my dad took me to my local astronomy society, the Norwich Astronomical Society. I think at the time it was him who wanted to go along to one of their public evenings. Uh, and I think Saturn was visible in the sky that night. So I remember going along with him. I was probably dragged along just to give him some company. Um, and I, I, I saw Saturn through one of their telescopes and I can almost remember the night when I saw Saturn for the first time and it was just amazing to see it was like the pictures you see in picture books smaller but it was like the pictures you see from the Hubble Space Telescope or from Voyager where you had you know an inky black sky um, and Saturn was just hanging there with the rings and it just looked incredible I think rather ironically I think that was enough for my dad and I, I, I don't think he really uh, he enjoyed the evening and he was fine but he walked away from any interest in space at that point I think it was just a general thing he fancied doing um, but for me as a 10 year old that was a real pivotal moment that got me fascinated and wanting to learn more about the night sky um, and I think that's what I've tried to to do with all my general sort of public outreach activities is is to get people especially kids give them a moment where they might not necessarily get to a telescope to look through it but it's to try and give them a moment where they think wow I'm interested in that I want to learn a little bit more oh uh, yeah I totally get that um, and also think that when you said that the different audience for this particular book I thought that because it appealed to me so much I can almost hear you standing in a classroom telling the children in the classroom all these different facts because there's so many facts in there that that would really appeal to them um, but also at my age as well maybe I'm just a big child <laughs> it might just be that <laughs> <laughs> I do you know I think I think the other thing for me is I I love I love I'm, I've got a bit of a thing for facts I love you know I've got all sorts of crazy facts about all sorts of different things and they're things that just really stick in my head and I think one of the things that I I don't know I I find captivating is those little facts of information um, and I think for me it, it's what brings topics to life um, and so yeah I, I tried to make them interesting tried to make them sort of thought provoking. 
Um, and you know, I hope I've achieved that. It certainly, had, I had a lot of fun writing it um, and trying to construct uh, facts or titles for each section that would make people want to read it and then delve a little bit into the science of it to help them understand what it meant. Yeah, those titles actually are really, really, really useful because they really do draw you in. Um, what was the most surprising fact you included in the book and why was it the most surprising one for you? I think, uh, probably, I think the one that was probably the most surprising to me, and it's one I think I knew for a while, but it had never been at the forefront of my mind until I'd written this book. And I thought, oh yeah, I must include that. And it's something that touches a little bit on the world of uh, the animal kingdom. So the fact in the book that I th is the one that I keep coming back to, which still to this day just amazes me, is the fact that dung beetles use the Milky Way to navigate. And I still, even to this day, find it incredible that a creature has developed the ability to find their way. Because dung beetles, you know, there's, there's hundreds, if not thousands, of different types of dung beetles and they, they can all roll their dung balls in a straight line um, now they don't just use the milky way for that they use uh, the wind can help them uh, walk in a straight line um, there's an idea that perhaps magnetic fields possibly can make them walk in a straight line but some scientists actually took some dung beetles and stuffed them inside a planetarium uh, and what they did is they, they turned on and off different features in the sky and they basically found that when the Milky Way wasn't visible, they couldn't walk in a straight line. When they had all the other signs such as wind, there was no wind inside there, you know, they were, they were in a, an environment where there were no other influences. Then they found that they relied upon the Milky Way to walk in a straight line. And I think that is just incredible that dung beetles, of all things, are astronomers. Uh, and I think, you know, I think that's really quite an amazing thing. I love it when you put it like that, yeah, I do. <laughs> um, as this is a primarily a writing podcast, what advice would you give a, a writer new to non-fiction? Wow, uh, yeah, I, do you know, I've, 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 do, do I find writing easy or do I find it hard? Depends on my mood, I think. Um, and I think for me, I'm a, a, I don't know if it's because of my, my scientific brain, but I have to work to, um, you know, it, invariably you'll get a word count that you t need to, um, hit when you you know writing a probably I mean I've never written a non-fiction uh, sorry a, fa a fiction book but I've written um, eight now nine uh, non-fiction books um, and for me I think what what really drives me and keeps me focused and on t on target is to know if I've got to write let's say eighty thousand words then knowing that I need to write however many words per week to be able to hit the target for the delivery of the publication to the the publishers at the right time that's actually a really big thing for me and I, I'm a big one for graphs and I'm a big one for working out what I need to do to make sure the worst thing you can do I think uh, is is have a book that you've got to write and then you suddenly find you're way behind on how many words you need to produce uh, and then find you've got you know maybe two or three weeks to write 60,000 words and that's a tall order for anyone to do that so I think Getting yourselves in, in, into a place of having a word target per week is a really good thing and, I, and it helped me a lot. But I think also, I mean, people uh, people talk of these sort of spider diagrams where, you know, you kind of, uh, you know, it's a, it's a bit of a, a, a sort of a brain dump of all the things you want to include in the book. 
and creating a some sort of diagram that shows you know, the main topic is you know let's say 101 facts about space um, and then branch off that with the different areas like planetary uh, deep space animals even um, and keep branching off and creating a, a, a diagram like that helps to focus the direction of the book along with a graph you know that, that keeps me on target for the word count and and and, and i find that really useful even even if i know what I'm trying to write about and I've, you know I've written books about astronomical photography um, books about uh, beginning as a stargazer you know what what things astronomers can do to, to, to get into this, the hobby and I think if you if you structure and and dump onto a piece of paper all the topics you want to cover that then helps a little bit as well to work out how many words you need to produce per section and whether that feels right and I think preparation is is, is quite a big thing for it as well for me yeah I totally get that um as I said to you before I, I write fiction and non-fiction and I do that a similar kind of brain dump on the page it's actually on the written like pen and pad um yeah. to do that first because a lot of people just brain dump onto the screen and I can't as soon as I start writing everything has to be on the page so I can you know do yeah. the character backstories if I'm writing fiction and then if it's non-fiction, as you say, I've got, you know, spider diagrams, I've got bubbles here and they've got, you know, spider diagrams coming out of them. It's, it's an interesting thing you say about using a you know pen and paper because I've not really thought about it. There's, I'm, I'm a, a big fan of, of the digital world and I will do as much as I can online on a computer or on a tablet device, whatever. I'll, I'll type rather than, you know, waste paper, I'll do things electronically where I can, but... There's, there is something about writing stuff down and there are some things and I think, I, I mean I hadn't realised it until you just now said it yourself that, that in fact I do this, is that if you if you write things with a pen and piece of paper that it does it does something, I don't know what but I'm going to think a lot about this now it, it does something about the, it almost switches on the creative elements of your brain um, and I don't think you quite get that when you type something on a screen and I don't know if it's because on a screen, if you're typing in a word document, or waffling now, but if you you know if you're typing in a a, 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 a um, word processing document of some sort, you know you're restricted to the lines and where things can go. But if you're writing on a piece of paper, you can draw lines, you can do this, you can do that, and and you're right to to some extent. I think that the the freedom that you have by writing on a piece of paper, and arguably, of course, you could do it on a on a tablet device with a digital or electronic pen. Um, I think the freedom you get with that ability, with that makes a massive difference almost to unlocking the creativity in your brain to help you focus on what you need to do and, and I think you need that and I, and interesting I've, I've I've struggled so hard to try and construct some sort of uh, fiction book I've never got there yet but I think there's one in there somewhere but I've not coaxed it out yet but I think I've never actually tried to do that on a piece of paper with a pen so I might actually uh, try that and see if it makes any difference. So I've I've, uh, I've advised you. Wow. Um, yeah, with me, I know that the relationship with the pen and the shape of the letters when I'm writing them, that part of it appears to be important to the creation of the words and obviously the characters. And I, and it's like I feel it as well because also when I'm writing fiction, um, I generally have to, it's weird, like, writer quirk, but I generally have to have um, bare feet so I can feel the ground as well. Uh, it, it's some kind of a subconscious thing going yeah. on there. It, it's really important yeah. and it helps me um, understand 
I mean, I can dump it all out, but later on when I'm refining characters or refining a plot or, or a scene, I have to be able to like feel it, feel it and, and channel the characters. So it sounds all very, oh, you know, she's out there, but it kind of helps yeah, no, no. the creativity. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, and I find that it can be little things like, you know, sometimes I'll sit on the sofa um, with a laptop, um, maybe the TV is on and I'll try and do a little bit of work then. Um and it just doesn't work. But if I sit on a table with a chair, even though this, the same TV program is on, I get more progress out of it. So there's there's a vast amount to be said for being in the right, comfortable environment for you. And, and that varies for all of us. I dare say there are people out there that just work um, wearing T-shirts uh, and, a sh and a pair of shorts. And that's probably it. Um, well, you know, I think it, it, it can be as simple as wearing the right clothes even like say being barefoot that can make a big difference um i find i can't write i forgot my slippers on how crazy is that i i, I can't explain that but if my slip, i kick them off invariably um when i write and that's a bizarre thing but there's something to be said that it's probably the human human element there's something to be said about being comfortable being in the right environment with the right frame of mind for me with a knowledge of what I need to get through. So I need to get through 200, 300 words today, 1,000 words, whatever it's got to be. Um, and as long as those all those different elements come together at the right time, then bosh. What I would say as well, of course, is that the good old thing called writer's block, oh my goodness, isn't that a real thing? Um, I am just in the process of preparing for my world record lecture attempt. Um, and to do that, I've got to construct 140 hours of lecture material and in the same way because I'm trying to beat the, the Guinness world record for that and raising money to, for charity for Bernardo as well so it's, it's not me doing it on a crazy whim um, but preparing for that is very similar I think to writing a book because it's a lot of content but there are some times when the content just doesn't flow um, you know you can be sat in the right place with the right clothes on with the right whatever and just sometimes the content doesn't come. And if, if you get writer's block, don't force it. Just walk away, read another book, put the television on, go out for a walk, whatever whatever you need to do just to get away from it. And then, you know, come back to later. But if you if you get writer's block, it's a thing. Don't worry about it. It happens to every single one of us. And even the people that say, say it doesn't exist, it really does. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. And it's a horrible thing. <laughs> And tell me a little bit more about the the um, world record. You know, where are you going to be holding it? And this all came off the back of me. Uh, I gave a lecture um, probably about five or six years ago for a charity, a twenty four hour lecture. But I did uh, forty five minute lectures um, with a fifteen minute break for twenty four hours. Uh, and when I did that, I thought, I wonder what the world record is for that. And I found out it's one hundred and thirty nine hours, forty two minutes, and fifty six seconds, which is five not shy of five and a half days and at the time I thought not a chance not interested get just kick that into touch straight away I've since recovered from that 24-hour experience and I've, I've essentially I've just thought you know what I want to give it a go so in September so I'm starting on the 11th of September at noon uh, I'm allowed five minute breaks every hour or I can batch them up and have longer breaks a bit later on so the plan is to talk for two hours have a five minute break, talk for another two hours, have a five minute break and eventually after about two days I'll have built up enough time to have a 90 minute sleep. So I'm going to be talking about my ultimate space lecture 
um, which is going to be everything conceivable uh, about space, including I will cover all 101 facts in the book as well uh, as part of it. Um, so, yeah, start at noon on the 11th of September and I will be talking uh, all the way through until all being well, uh, if it all goes to plan. Uh, I'll finish and break the record about 8 o'clock on the Friday morning. So, and I'll be going all the way through. Uh, and I'll, I think I'll get four and a half hours of sleep throughout the whole event. So it's, uh, yeah, it's quite daunting. It is daunting because I'm one of those people that really needs sleep just to function. Um, so taking that main thing away from me, I wouldn't be able to, to do anything. So, wow. And do you know what? The really, I'm very lucky as well. We've got a great team of people around me. We've got, we're going to need about 100 volunteers uh to help stage the event because it needs witnesses and it needs stewards and all that sort of stuff we're going to host it at the university of east anglia um it's all going to be streamed online on my youtube channel um but we've also setting up some schools outreach uh, educational packages so schools can get involved across the world so we're having some lesson plans teachers can download and get their kids involved i'm also going to be wearing some uh, wireless enabled uh, various different biometric readers so my blood pressure my heart rate uh, my uh, body temperature etc is all going to be streamed online um, and also be wearing an EEG machine so that we'll get my brain waves picked up as well and it's all going online and there's a bunch of uh, scientists in Sweden um, they're going to be studying the effects of sl extreme sleep deprivation while I do the lecture and there's a group in Cambridge as well so we're going to get some real science out of this to learn how extreme sleep deprivation affects our physical and psychological ability. So I'm, I'm really looking forward to it, but I am I am very, very interested in how I'm going to be able to get through the, the five and a half days. So the best thing to do is not to contact you in September then? <laughs> you won't get much response out of me, I can tell you that. <laughs> What's something you take for granted now as a writer that you wish you'd learned when you first started? Um... Hmm. What had I? I think probably a little bit, a little bit about probably the the process of writing. So the the interaction with publishers. Um. I think that that's something that you know if you're new to writing, it's um you know it's not a minefield, but it's a world that if you've never been involved in it before, um, it it's it can be quite daunting. Um. So I think probably learning how the different methods of getting books published from self publishing. Uh, all the way through to getting a you know getting a contract with a uh, with a, a publisher um, which might have been through a literary agent um, and and I think understanding that I, I know a lot of friends who who want to write books um, and they sit down and they write the entire book from beginning to end before even thinking about approaching publishers and literary agents uh, now it, it may well be a little bit different for for fictional work but I'm pretty sure most publishers will either ask generally will ask to see sort of a couple of sample chapters um and then they they might say to you yeah that's great well, we like that book off you go go and write it um whereas a lot of people seem to sit down and write the whole thing and for some people that you know they want to write the whole book and that's part of the journey for them but for people who are interested in getting a book published you don't necessarily need to write the whole book before you start approaching publishers you need to get a couple of chapters under your belt but you don't necessarily need to write the whole thing. So I think it's probably a little bit about how the publishing world works, but also knowing that, you know, we talked about it earlier, that writer's block is okay, because I remember uh, when I wrote my first book, um, however many gazillion years ago it was now, 
I can remember thinking, you know, when I first experienced that, I don't know what to write. I know my subjects, but I don't, the words just aren't coming out of my head, not onto the keyboard. But, but that's, you know, like I said, that is okay and it will happen, but just walk away from it. Don't try and force it. Um, walk away from it and you'll be absolutely fine um, and come back to it a little bit or, or work on a different section of it. If you can do that, then do that. Um, so I think, yeah, pro- probably about writer's block being a thing uh, and also about an understanding of how the publishing world works. If I'd have known that right at the start, it would have made it a much more pleasurable experience, I think. Did you find that when you had a deadline to, to get to with a publisher and writer's block jumped on top of you, did you find that you felt a lot of pressure and that exacerbated the writer's block yeah i i, I did i mean i, I was i was a bit, writing deals can sometimes be a bit like buses and they all come along at once and i, I actually had th- three books to write all at once um and and i i tried a number of different um i mean they, they were books i think they were about 30 or forty thousand words each so they weren't small but they weren't massive you know novel type size uh, books but I I tried a number of different things. I tried writing sort of 500 words a day on each book. But that just didn't work because my mind was just all over the place and scrambled from knowing which one I was working on. Uh, and I ended up writing one quicker than I would have done by doing them all, all at the same time. Um, but yeah, it, it does. And I think sometimes it's it's easy to forget that, you know, we're, for most people, I think writing is a vocation. It's something they really want to do. And I think sometimes I've pinched myself on a number of occasions where I've got a pressure from getting the, the manuscript over to the publishers. Um, I've got writer's block. The words aren't coming out. I need to get writing and I need to get doing this. Um, but I mustn't forget and I have to remind myself that but this is what I want. I want to do this. It's not something I have to do. Although I do have to get the words to the publisher because I'm under a contract, etc. But um, the, the, the writing is part of what I want to do and I think it's easy isn't it to forget when you, when you're uh, working on something where there's pressure it's sometimes easy to forget but actually I wanted this isn't it I think um, so yeah it, it does add to the pressure um, and if if you've got you know I, I you know like I said if I've got a graph that's showing me doing x amount of words per day and I'm seeing that graph just tail off and thinking oh gosh I'm not gonna hit if I keep at this speed I am not going to be able to deliver it on time yeah that adds a bit of pressure to it certainly I wonder if actually then because your passion is astronomy and books are a, a medium to get that astronomy to other people I wonder if then that it when writer's block hits you sure you want to be a writer but your astronomy your content is is much more important to you so maybe switch your mind back to the love rather than the need um and, and get it through to come out that way and 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 that is exactly what i do um you know if i find i'm struggling it, it, quite often i tend to do a fair bit of, of writing work into the evening hours um you know i'm one of those people that's got a a night owl I mean, i've learned all about sleep through uh this this world record attempt the science of sleep in itself is fascinating um and i'm more of a night owl so I'm I've got a tendency to be more awake into the evening hours than than other people perhaps uh, and so I I tend to do more of my work once the kids are in bed and it's quiet in the house it's a little bit quieter in the house um, and I tend to do my writing then and yet yeah, if I'm if I'm getting a little bit it's not coming out then yeah you know wandering outside and just looking up at the sky and seeing the Milky Way and the stars and the planets sometimes that can almost reset 
my you know where I'm at and, and actually I'll, I can get back to the, to the keyboard and things start to flow again it doesn't always happen like that but it does sometimes it's perfect actually you're saying that because I'm a night owl as well and I, I tend to come alive at around eight o'clock and if I'm working on fiction particularly that can take me into the early hours and I can smash out a couple of thousand words easily um, but because of your content that makes so much sense you could just nip outside look up providing it's not a cloudy night yeah, there's only downside in the UK is that you can be pressurised. You've got writer's block on top of your thing. Oh, nip outside and look at the old, look at my old friends, the stars. Go outside and it's cloudy and it doesn't work at all. <laughs> it makes it a million times worse. Yeah, I presume you don't live anywhere where there's a lot of light pollution then. No, do you know, I don't. I live in South Norfolk and it's a lovely part of the world. We don't have much in the way of built up. Um, to, I mean, the nearest city, Norwich, is about... 20 miles north of me um i've got a other areas that are sort of 15 miles away that are quite built up um but yeah if i walk out in my backyard back garden you know it's lovely clear sky and if it's if the moon's not there and if it's a clear sky the milky way is there to be seen and it just looks stunning um and it does just remind me why i'm here in the first place i'm in north essex so we've literally just got suffolk between us yeah it's not far at all is it crikey um, yeah, and, and North Essex, I mean, that's you, you've got London's probably not, was that about 50 miles away to the south of you? Something like that. I mean, imagine the lights of London don't cause you much trouble, but yeah, any time people have um, a large city uh, maybe five miles away, you see that horrible, ghastly glow of light pollution, um, which, you know, I, I recognise that we all need lights to be able to see what we're doing for security and safety, and that's all, you know, that's brilliant. But, but when you when you want to enjoy the night sky certainly getting away from the the lights of, of urban areas helps a lot and it, it just really brings the sky alive I, I live right on the coast as well so it's it's quite dark quite often and um aside from nipping out every so often and, and looking up and seeing which stars are where my favorite time of year for doing that is the week of my birthday which is my birthday is august 13th so you've got a beautiful light show haven't you during that week yeah the, the perseid meteor shower peaks just for your birthday we organized that just specially for you <laughs> <laughs> it's funny because my, my sister uh, got me into looking at the stars quite early in our in our lives uh, she's a few years older than me and because where where my birthday falls that was a, a good in for me really so each each year i go out there throughout the week um you know whichever day i'm out there but throughout the week and my challenge each year is to count as many shooting stars as i can to to um in relation to my age that year so over the week that's that's often possible but if you've got a couple of nights of cloud it's such a challenge <laughs> it. Do you know I, that probably one of the most memorable experiences of my life with uh actually of of my life was the leonid meteor storm and i think it was in 1999 and what happens is that sometimes we, we get these meteor showers because uh, comets travel around the solar system and as they do they drop debris along the orbit and it's, it's almost like a trail of breadcrumbs from hansel and gretel um, and when the earth travels through the orbit of a comet of course all those bits of cometary debris 
get swept up by the earth they they, they sort of travel through the atmosphere uh, and they burn up in the atmosphere and that's what we see as shooting stars uh, and sometimes if you happen to go past the trail of a comet very soon after the comet's been passed then you can get an increase in activity and every 33 years the Leonid meteor shower is a meteor storm because it coincides with the orbital um, dynamics of the, of the comet uh, and, and and in the early hours I, I couldn't couldn't tell you what day of the week it was I can remember it being a bitterly cold night but I was outside knowing it was going to be a storm level activity and I think I counted two o'clock in the morning three o'clock in the morning something like 400 meteors per hour and it I mean it only lasted for you know a short period of time but it was a rate of about 400 now and it was just incredible and I've never seen anything quite like it before um, unfortunately you can never predict them accurately enough to say it's going to be at 2.30 this morning or tomorrow morning you can't often be that accurate they're a little bit difficult to predict but it was the most amazing thing to witness your sense of humour is, is clear in your book um, do you think humour helps readers learn the facts? Uh, I, I like to think so yes I'm, I'm glad you picked picked up on, on my sense of humour in there um, yeah I, I think so I'm, I'm quite keen I think to, to make science light-hearted and accessible um, and I, th I think people have, an, have a sort of an expectation or an impression of science as being a hard work, heavy going um, piece of literature for people to read about. But, you know, it, it isn't like that. You know, the world is a fascinating place. And I think and, and thankfully, I think more and more scientists these days are recognising probably with the advent of social media that, that it's really important to engage with people at a level that, that almost humanises science. Uh, and I think, yeah, I think I'm, I'm glad I, I don't inject sense of humour on purpose. I, you know, I write how I write, whatever that, however it comes out. Um, but I think if you can, um, especially for a factual book, I think it's really quite important to to make it light to read and not something that's just really chewy to get through. And I've read books um, over the years that just feel like a really gristly piece of meat that you're chewing on and it just goes oh it's just really hard to get through them sometimes so yeah I think it's you know it, but it's got to be natural I don't think it's I don't think you can force humor uh, in a book and I must say I didn't even really think I'd actually put any humor in it but I'm glad you I'm glad you picked up on it anyway yeah I even mentioned it in my review as well but I think also the title is is quite a it, you know 101 facts you didn't know about space it's pulling you in it's telling you something exciting and there's I think there's a touch of humor even in that too I, you know, I, I, I again I'd never thought of it but I guess you know that, that that in itself is is where it's important to to write naturally isn't it uh and to not not force a type of book that that perhaps you're having to work at but to write a book that you naturally can write uh and I think that you know again that's that's probably another bit of advice for anyone wanting to write at the moment is is to write naturally and to write from um not necessarily from your heart but but write what what feels natural and what feels right to you and if you know and if that comes out as a humorous bit of work brilliant if it doesn't that's fine i think it's more important that you write naturally than you force it because i think people will pick up on it if it's forced um, whereas if it's written naturally in, in how you would talk or how you would communicate with someone on, on a day-to-day -day basis, then I think it comes over far more naturally and, and you'll probably the readers will warm to you as a result of that. Yeah, it also brings out the human side of you. As you say, it's not all about facts and 
uh, diagrams and you know numbers I mean if it was all about numbers I'd have to walk away from it because I just I can't cope with that particularly well but because you've in the pictures in there are amazing too so you you know you've brought all of that together and it's a really good read that as you say said before you can dip in and out when it suits um and because some of them are um you know things I'd never even imagine I think wow really okay um, so, you know, you can take that away with you and next person you see is, did you know, uh, you know, so you've remembered it because it's it's accessible and it's human. Yeah. And, I, you know, I think I think that's probably what what I try to achieve whilst I'm a, a big lover of, of factoids and, you know, and, and good grief, my family always getting bored with various different facts. So I just, you know, suddenly blurt out uh, over the dinner table. Um and I think I think I quite like the idea of sharing facts that that other people will then use at their dinner table, um, and the, you know the more I can just almost inject little nuggets of sciencey, spacey information in people, the more that spreads the word about space and how fascinating it is, and hopefully you know can inspire a few more people to look up at the sky. Right. Is there anything else you'd like to add today? No, I think that covers absolutely everything. I've learned some things about myself I didn't even realise I knew. As a nice therapy session there. <laughs> I know, it felt a bit like that, in a good way. Lovely, well thank you so much, I really do appreciate your time today. Alright, you too, take care, bye bye. I hope you enjoyed that. Links for Mark's book, his record-breaking attempt, and links to Mark's website and YouTube channel are all on the show notes for today's episode. I'll also add the link to the Versatile Writer podcast group on Facebook, It's a safe space for writers to continue on the discussions covered in the show. Before I go, I just wanted to make an announcement. You may have noticed I've added episode numbers to the podcast episodes recently. This is because I've changed the format to the Versatile Writer and from now on we'll be recording sessions of eight episodes each. Today is the last one of season three. Episodes will return in September with season four. This will give me time to create new podcasts for you. So, in the meantime, if you have an idea for an episode theme that involves creative writing or how it affects the writer, get in touch. You can do that via the podcast Facebook group, Twitter at SJBWrites, or emailing me sarah at loveofbooks.co.uk. Those of you who have waited patiently for the sequel to Guardian Angel, read by yours truly, will be happy to learn that it's coming next time and with a few bonus episodes too. I hope you've enjoyed this week's episode of The Versatile Writer with me, Sarah Bannum, also the last few seasons. The Versatile Writer aims to provide help and support for like-minded writers. I'll see you in September.